Good evening. Are you getting charged up? Renewed and encouraged? Challenged? Well, these meetings, these beautiful songs, sometimes as we sing some of those songs of consecration, I tremble a little bit because it's pretty easy to sing songs, sing words that someone else penned and be a lie in our own lives. If our lives were as consecrated as that song of consecration, take my life and let it be. If our lives were that consecrated, there'd be a whole lot less trouble in the church. That song spoke of a yieldedness and a bendable, changing, moving. Oh, place me over here. Oh, that's fine. Oh, you want me over here? Oh, that's fine. Oh, now do this? Yes, that's fine. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my feet. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Well, it gives me the chills, brothers and sisters. We want it to be true, but is it? Is it? <clears throat> Could we kneel for prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name tonight, Lord. Let thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, just like it's done in heaven. You see each one of us here kneeling before you. Lord, you know what's in every one of our hearts. And Lord, there are times we don't even know what's in our hearts. So we just pray, Lord, would you come tonight and by your candle, would you search the innermost parts of the belly? Would you search the innermost parts of our hearts and show us what's there? Lord, sometimes we don't even know what's there until you show us and then it becomes so apparent that it's been a need or a blessing or something there that, um, that we hadn't fully realized before. And so, Lord, we come under your candle again this evening and pray that you'd have free course in every person here. And, Lord, for anyone that might listen to this message on a recording or on the telephone, I pray, Lord, that you would have the same work and the same access to all our hearts do a work in us. Do a work in our young people. Lord, I pray that in our youth we could live consecrated lives. God, that you would be glorified, that we could be strengthened and be prepared to be the men and the women, the fathers and the mothers, the preachers, the deacons. Lord, the church that you want us to be. So, Father, I pray that you wouldn't leave us alone here this evening and that you would come and minister to us and meet with us as we preach the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> well, I've been staying over there in Brother Earl's place, and I've been spending a lot of time alone with the Lord. It's been a precious time. You see, my life is fairly busy as a... Um, there's a lot of thinking that I need to do that doesn't just pertain to me. And to have a time, a period of time, just quiet. Nothing going in my ears. 
just quiet to meditate, to open the songbook and sing some songs to the Lord in the morning. Just out there, I doubt they can hear me at the house. I can sing loud as I want to and uh, have a heavenly audience. So I'm uh, being recharged in a different kind of a way. Um, but uh, time alone with the Lord is a, is a very good time, is a very good thing for you, uh, for each one of us to develop and practice in our Christian life. <clears throat> if you'd open your Bibles to Mark chapter 3, and the title of the message this evening is Stretch Forth Thine Hand. Stretch Forth Thine Hand. Mark chapter 3. We're going to read the first six verses here. We might also jump down and read verse 10, 11, and 12. Mark chapter 3 and verse 1. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath days, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day, or to do evil? To save life or to kill. But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth, and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. But Jesus withdrew himself from going down to verse uh, Nine. Let's start in verse 9. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many. Insomuch they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. So this man here who had the withered hand wasn't alone. He isn't just a single man that just one man out of a crowd that got some help and got deliverance. But there were many. So much so that Jesus asked for a boat. And he, he stood on that boat or sat on the boat and preached to the people because they were about to throng him. Everybody wanted to touch him because out of him went virtue. Well, that's very comforting and encouraging for us tonight. Because along the way in life, as we find our way along the way in life, we find out that we have needs. Some of us here tonight probably have sin in our lives, and we need healing. This man with a withered hand wasn't the only one that got healing, but many got healing. But we find here, I have three points here in introduction, and as we consider this passage here a little, and then I have four other points in the main body. I'll endeavor to not be too long here, but number one here, we have a man with a withered hand. He's here in the synagogue. We don't know how he got to the why he was there at the synagogue. We don't know if this was his first time at the synagogue. We don't know if why he came to the synagogue. Was it possible that maybe the leper in uh, Mark chapter one had been his friend, and he found out that this leper had run to Jesus and kneeled before him and says, "Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean." And Jesus said, "I will," and touched him. All appalling things. You don't touch a leper, you'll get leprosy yourself. 
So it's very dangerous. And the leper was to stand afar off and cry, unclean, unclean. I don't know. They didn't have television or radio or anything to broadcast the news. Was Why was this man here in the synagogue? But he was here. Did the Pharisees possibly invite him to trap Jesus? In verse 2 it says, They watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath days, that they might accuse him. The other passages in the Gospels of Matthew and of uh, Luke indicates that um, they were pretty intent on this thing and they were wanting to accuse Jesus. But, I mean, everybody on the Sabbath, they'll stretch forth their hand. They'll stretch forth their hand to pick up a comb maybe. They'll, you know, anybody stretched forth a hand. And so they uh, were pretty defeated here. But they, uh, this man was there in the synagogue and the Pharisees, maybe they had um, brought this man there and said, well, you sit here and we'll see if we can get him in trouble by defiling the Sabbath. Had this man possibly heard that Jesus could heal such needs? Was he hoping to have a private interview with Jesus afterwards? You know, possibly he kept his hand in his pocket. You know, a withered hand, <clears throat> Jeroboam, I believe it was, as he was uh, uh, worshiping there at his false altar. And the man of God had come and had um, um, denounced that altar and said what was going to happen. And Jeroboam stuck his hand out and says, take him. And his hand froze, withered, out like this. He couldn't pull it back to him. It was out like this. It was froze. And he begged the man, please pray for me. And the man prayed for him. And his hand was restored. So this withered hand... It was something of an incapacitation. This man had this withered hand, and um, I uh, had a cousin that married a man that had a deformed hand. Some of the fingers were missing, and, and uh, at their wedding, he kept that hand in his pocket a lot. They held hands, but it was with the other hand. It wasn't with the deformed hand. He was self-conscious about it, and, and so was this man possibly hoping, you know, if I can get Jesus off to the side and have a private interview and, and show him my hand, maybe Jesus will take care of my need. And so here he was. <clears throat> you know, this man had a need that he lived with day after day. If he was eating or getting dressed or trying to work, trying to catch his donkey or weed his garden, his hand was withered. Tonight, do you have a need that you've been living with day by day? And why are you here tonight? Is there a divine appointment here with you being here tonight? What if the Lord would show you your need tonight? Would you be ready to stand forth? Maybe this man just sat there and hoped that Jesus wouldn't notice his hand. But Jesus was more interested in that man with the withered hand than all the rest of the people there. If you have a need in your life this week... Stretch forth your hand. Number two, Jesus tells the man to stand up. Now everybody's looking. Now everybody's looking. The way the other gospels put it, it sounds like Jesus didn't just ask the man to stand up, but to step out. Did he ask him to come up front? I don't know. It says, rise and stand forth in the midst. How would you feel if Jesus asked you to come up front with your need? But Jesus told the man to stand up. And Jesus had a compelling longing to meet this man's need. Look at verse 4. And he saith unto them, 
Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they held their peace. Jesus had a longing. He said he used strong terms here. He says, is it lawful to do good or to do evil? Jesus seemed to feel to leave that man's need go would be to be doing evil. It meant to kill the man, to not meet his need. Jesus took this man's need very serious, and he'll take your need very seriously. Well, Jesus felt angry about the hard-heartedness and lack of concern for this man's need. Now, lest you have an anger problem, sinful anger, and you're defending that anger with righteous indignation talk, coming from this passage, the only people that I've ever heard of justifying their anger as righteous indignation are those who have real trouble with it and they want to keep it and they want to justify it. The Lord can take that away too. The Lord can make that, those anger feelings do not rise. So Jesus felt angry about it. It says he was grieved for the hardness of their hearts. They didn't care about that man with a need. But I believe you're in a congregation, an audience here where those around you care about your need. We certainly do. Well, number three, Jesus heals. Jesus tells the man to stretch forth thine hand. The man simply obeys, lifts his arm and stretch forth his hand. Immediately, it was whole as the other. Immediately. Jesus knows exactly what it takes to heal. This man could have said, you know I can't do that. Or he could have said, he's just wanting to expose my pitiful situation. Typically, it would have been impossible to stretch forth that hand. A withered hand, all dried up and withered up. It wasn't functioning. It wasn't functioning. But immediately, when he responded by faith, responded to the invitation, this man was made whole. This man in simple obedient faith stretched forth his hand, whole as the other. Look at verse 5 there. Look at those words. Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. What I find here in the book of Mark is that scene after scene, Jesus is healing and doing miracles. Powerful miracles. And people are getting delivered. People are getting made free. But in another gospel, we find the story of how Jesus told servants to draw water out of a well and fill water pots with water. They needed wine. Servants could have said, now look, we're not that dumb. You're not going to fool the master, the governor of the feast here by taking him water. He's not that drunk. He won't know that you have Do you think he won't? Jesus told him, fill these water pots. And now he says, dip out and carry to the governor of the feast. How foolish that looks. And many times when the Lord is going to heal our need, the procedure looks foolish to the human mind. But they did by faith. They drew that cup of water out, the glass of water, and they carried it over there to the governor of the feast. And somewhere between there, they turned into wine. And he tasted it and said, hmm, 
He called the bridegroom. He said, what you got going on? He said, usually everybody brings the best wine at the beginning, but you've kept the better wine till now. So well, what you got going on? The Lord is all powerful. The Lord is able to save souls. He knows how to do it. He created those souls. He knows how to take away sins. He knows how to heal infirmities. He knows how to bring blessing and strength into wounds and harm and damage that people have gotten. When they stretch forth their hand, bring it to him. So tonight we have four points here, four questions. I'd like to explore, explore four different areas. Number one, have you been born again? Number two, do you have an empty profession? Number three, are you broken? And number four, do you have sins that need to be sent before to judgment? So let's turn to the scriptures and open our hearts this evening as we explore the word of God. I was just fascinated again afresh recently as I was going through a bit of a Bible study with a couple at at home in a home congregation and, and began to explore, are they new creatures? They began coming to church from a... From another congregation of people there and um, they began coming to church and they've been attending there for some time and I was feeling bad about it that I've not gone and sat down in their living room week after week and talked with them and had Bible studies with them and tried to find out where are these? Are these people born again? Have they been born again? Are they new creatures? And as I began to study what the scripture says about this subject of being a new creature, of being born again, it's astounding the language it uses. And it caused some deep soul searching. And I was inspired again to go to the word of God this evening. To ask a question. Have you been born again? If you are a Christian here tonight. Then at some point you became a new creature. At some point you became a new creature. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Had a young man call me on the phone here not too many evenings ago. And. And uh, he, um, he asked me, well, what is your favorite Bible verse? And uh, having a little, um, well, I think the Lord just gave me, prompted me with, uh, um, with the right answer. I uh, didn't go to John 3.16. I said, well, I think one of, my, one of my favorite Bible verses is 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Well, we're going to start reading here in verse uh, 16. And read through verse 19. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea though we have known Christ after the flesh. Yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And hath given us to the, given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Here is the most beautiful scripture. <clears throat> I don't know if you know what verse 15 is in this chapter, but let's read verse 15. And that, speaking of Christ, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. 
So here's a new purpose of life. Now, I wasn't planning, intending on speaking on this subject, on that exactly right there. But uh, one of the marks of being a new creature, one of the marks of being born again is that you stop living unto yourself. That you begin to live unto him who died and rose again. You begin living unto him. What is he like? What is his interest like? What is his music like? What is it that stirs him up? What is it that draws him near? Oh, I want to live unto him. And they'll get in this book and they'll begin to read. And I had testimony from down in Texas, a young man that got born again out of society down there. And um, uh, the amazing struggles that he had. But his pastor, he and I were just talking on Saturday evening. and, And he was telling me how this young man has just taken up reading the word. And he's read this book in the New Testament and that book in the New Testament. He's been reading that and now he's gone into the Old Testament. He's been reading the Old Testament and he says he's becoming strong and it's his food. It's his strength and he's becoming strong. And and what he's doing is he's no longer living unto himself, but living unto him. What is your passion? What is your desire? When you have some time off, are you like some young men that I've known that will take a Sunday afternoon and go off in the woods with his Bible? In pondering and meditation at 15, 16 years old, searching, seeking the Lord, spending time with God. Where they are now, I'm not going to tell you. Well, maybe, I don't know. No, I'm not going to brag on them. Being young men, I must just say this. Being young men, there are pillars in the church. And you can be too. So we who are born again, should no longer live to ourselves. Let's look at verse 17. Let's look at those words. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Is that possible? That looks like that's lifting the standard up quite a bit. But it's what God says. I think that it's time that we stop dumbing down this whole thing of what it means to be a Christian. It's time to lift up our eyes to him and what he is able to do in our lives to change us, to transform us. I'm not going to take the time to tell you what all I was into and what all sins I was in bondage to from the time that I was very young. Things that when I told my mother at about 10, 11, 12 years old, somewhere in there, the Lord was starting to plow in this little fellow's life. And, uh, and I told my mother uh, piece by piece what I had done because the Lord was on me. The Lord was convicting me of this thing. He brought it back to mind. I was sort of sick and measly during that time. It wasn't the measles, but I was sick for about two, two weeks. And I didn't do much. I wasn't real sick and I wasn't well. I laid around and had time to think upon think upon think. And this came back to my mind and it bothered me. Finally, to get relief, I went and told mother. And then another thing. And I had to have relief. I went and told my mother. To the point where my mother was appalled at what all that young lad had done. I didn't meet the Lord at that time. The Lord knew all well. We didn't have any fellowship. I don't think I'd have survived the teenage years. Having decided to follow the Lord. I went from that time of... 
the time of conviction. The conviction backed off. And, um, well, I'd been laying there in a bed, and, and my sins began to go past me across the ceiling. One after the other, just one after the other. Well, there were sins there that I'd confessed and sins I hadn't confessed, and I didn't have anything to write it down. They were moving too fast for me to write them down, and a feeling of hopelessness came over me. And years later, I asked my mother, um, why, why didn't uh, you all lead me to Christ at that time? Well, she said, I'm sorry. I just didn't seem to realize what was going on in your life. Mother and father were divided over spiritual things, still are to this day. We children knew what a lot of trouble was in the home, but when I was 19 years old, the Lord began to lay his finger on something in my life. Surrender to me. Give your life to me. I had the privilege of sitting in a living room, just a little living room where my mother was fellowshipping with my father's side of the family. My great uncle read a tract on Lordship Salvation to us there. <clears throat> See, I'd listened to a lot of debates and people talking about this finer point and that finer point, and if they believe this, they couldn't be a Christian. I'm like, I don't know if I believe this or that or the other. How can I ever be a Christian? I want to be a Christian. I loved my sin yet too, but I wanted to be a Christian. I couldn't understand how to be a Christian. <clears throat> and he read that tract there that night. That night, it wasn't night, it was Sunday morning. Included the prayer at the end. And says, I believe it's accurate. I believe it's how you get born again. And I felt God's finger go in my heart, so to speak, and begin to draw me to Jesus. And I said, you mean that's all it takes for me to be a Christian? Because, see, I'd made God promises. I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. Oh, and I couldn't keep my promises. I was a servant to sin, a slave to sin, and the many sins that I committed. But at 19 years old, laying on a couch two and a half hours away from home, it's too long a story to tell, I'd been moved that afternoon. I knew what I was going to do when the lights went out. And here's a country, simple country bumpkin, full of sin. And laying on that couch, I prayed a simple prayer of surrender. I stretched, as it were, my hand out to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm giving my life to you. I'm just yielding it up. It's very simple. I don't recall confessing any sins. What the Lord had his finger on was surrender to me. And that night, I surrendered to the Lord. There was a voice spoke inside my heart and said, there's nothing in your life ever going to be the same. So tingling started at the top of my head and went to the bottom of my feet. I haven't heard of it happening to many people. I like to think that's when the Holy Ghost entered and uh, when my sins were washed away. See, there's many things that needed change in my life. The battle wasn't near all over, but I became a new creature that evening. Laying there on a couch, responding to what the Lord was doing in my heart. And you see, I was 19 years old, and I didn't have the privilege of a Bible school to come to. I didn't have the privilege of that much spiritual fellowship right away. And most of my growing in life, in my Christian life, has been since I'm married. I don't want anybody to tell me, here in America, you've got it too tough, that you don't have time to be spiritual. The Lord will provide for you. Don't put the ends so far apart. You know, people say, trying to make the ends meet. But the problem is, we put them so far apart. If we were more content, it wouldn't be so hard to bring them together. But we survived 
We had some financial struggles. We had this longing. See, I'd watch people. I don't have any of this in my notes. I don't know why I'm telling you all this. Except I believe the Lord wants me to. And laying there, and as we grew, grew in the Lord. See, I'd watch people pursue money all my life. Work was so super important. And this had to be done, and that had to be done. And we're in harvest. We don't have time for Bible study. You're being shirking your duty if you leave here now and, and, uh, and go, to, uh, go to Bible study. Well, I wanted to be spiritual more than I wanted anything else. I believed that the Lord would provide what else we needed. And my testimony is that when we left Tennessee and left it all, I was looking poverty in the face. We had investments in Tennessee that I couldn't get loose. The Lord has blessed us so unbelievably in Kentucky. Um, We're doing better in Kentucky than we ever did in Tennessee. I worked at a shop helping a man three days a week, helping him manage a business. The Lord's given us a shop in Kentucky that I have other men managing for me. And I'm free. I'm free to many ways to minister, to raise my youngest son, to give a lot of time to people. My testimony is God will take care of you. If you will set your heart to put God first. We have testimonies of people who did that and struggled financially and were poor. And a bill was coming due. A bill was coming due. And they were praying about it. They were not being slothful, not being negligent. But they go to the mailbox and find almost the exact amount of money in the mailbox that they needed for that bill because God took care of them. They were seeking to be God's people first. If you're going to be your own man first and financially secure first, you will not mount much for the kingdom of God. I don't know what God's calling you to, but don't hesitate to yield up your silver and gold. Not a mite will I withhold. The Lord knows about you. He knows what you need. My conversion may have been a little more dramatic. I don't know. I didn't tell anybody for two weeks. Because I didn't want to eat crow. I didn't want to tell, you know, because I made God a lot of promises. But it wasn't in faith. It wasn't a surrender to him. And I'd made him a lot of promises. I wasn't able to keep it. And I didn't want to eat more crow. Um, More defeat. But there was a power that I found was right there in my life that I hadn't had before. And... While I didn't understand temptation, well, I'll talk to you young men about some of that on uh, Thursday afternoon, Lord willing, but I didn't understand temptation, and so I soon fell into sin, and I remember how I felt inside, and I said, oh, that was such beautiful peace for it to all be over with like that, and the Lord s- spoke into my heart and said, it's not all over with just like that. You need to repent and get up and go on. Because I'd surrendered to the Lord. Have you surrendered to the Lord? He began to take charge of my life. Is he taking charge of your life? We let, sang that beautiful song, He leadeth me. Oh, blessed thought. And I sat there in my bench and I thought, you know, I'm here in Iowa. 
Is it today, March the 6th? I'm here in Iowa on March the 6th, sitting here because the Lord is ordering my steps. And he brought me here to sit in that pew and sing those beautiful songs this night with you. Are you a new creature? Look at these words. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There was not, it wasn't a blitz, you know, oh, well, who are you? you? You're quite different. You're so, hmm. But within a few months, my old friends that I'd clowned around with and told jokes with and sang goofy songs, and one of them says, Leonard, what happened to you anyway? He says, Paul and I sure miss the old Leonard. Are you a new creature? Are you a new creature tonight? And this is the Bible definition and description. Have you been reconciled to God? Look at verse 18 here. It says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I don't know if you grasp these words here. I don't know if you grasp these words that are given to us, precious words, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. In other words... I am fixing the matter up as far as I'm concerned. When you respond to me, you're forgiven and cleansed. I've settled your debt. I've settled your sin issues. And I offer to you that if you will come and be reconciled to me, the matter's done. God is reconciled to mankind. And he wants men to come to him. But it's men's sins and their bondages. And the things they still don't want to give up that holds them at a distance. And they just, they don't feel like they can be reconciled. But these verses here say that God has committed to us the, the, the message or the ministry, the word of reconciliation. And we, verse 20, now then we as ambassadors of Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be you reconciled to God. This is the message of gospel, of the salvation of the world. Here, the Lord Jesus, it's like God is standing up here instead of me. God, in his written word, has given the message of reconciliation to us. Have you been reconciled to God? Is everything good between you and God? Do you feel at home in his presence when there's a holy atmosphere A godly, quiet atmosphere. Do you feel at home there? Can you just relax and praise God? I'm reconciled to God. My sins are covered by the blood. My iniquities so vast have been blotted out at last. God is the proactive one. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why does he need to be born again? Well, something wrong with him when he's born the first time. He needed to be born again. But the birth that we're talking about is a spiritual birth. Not a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth. He was speaking of a spiritual birth, a conversion on the inside of a person. He's not talking of a gradual change over many years. Now, he does change us over the years. There are things that he continues to change in us over the years. We're not talking about that. 
in the sense of growing in sanctification. We're talking about becoming a new creature. Is there a time in your life that you went from being not with peace to having peace? He speaks of having passed from death to life. Now that's, that's vast. He talks of being unreconciled to being reconciled. From lost to found. And he says a new heart will I give them. He talks about from being old man to new man. I'm just going to talk about a few things that need conversion. Pride needs to turn to humility. You know, resistance, stubbornness, and clashing are hallmarks of pride. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Living after the flesh needs to living... I'm sorry. Living after the flesh needs to turn to living after the spirit. Yielding to sin needs to turn to yielding to righteousness. Romans 6 says... As you had yielded your members unto sin, now yield them to righteousness. As your members had been an instrument to cause others to sin and to commit sin and to do things that were ungodly in God's sight, now yield your members as being a new creature, yield your members to building Christ's kingdom, to doing righteous acts, to respond in love. To use your hands to minister to the needs of another. To use your hands to the glory of God. Not yielding them to sin. But using them to yield to righteousness. A total surrender to God is what we're talking about. There is one thing that born again, being born again changes. And that is relationships. Let's turn to Titus. Titus chapter 3, in verse 3 through 8, it says here, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Not only were we hateful, hateful in our actions, but also hating others. Clashes. Mean things. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And what that verse there is saying. If I could interject here. What that verse there is saying is that uh, in my own situation. I didn't change my life and shape up my life. And get better and better until I was good enough to present myself to the Lord Jesus. I came as a sinner. And Jesus, the scripture here says, not by works of righteousness that we have done. It's not a deserving kind of a reconciliation. It's an undeserving one. You see, there's a terrible snare in that thing. If I could have promised God, I'll never do that again. Keep my promise. And that thing changed my life. Oh, something else comes up and I'll promise. No, I'll never do that again. Okay, now I'm making good progress. We think that'd be a wholesome thing. But you know what? Jesus Christ has been out of my life. It took his surrender and him coming in. It's the only way the Lord is going to give us victory. Is when he is in. And it is through him that that death comes inside to sin. That that death comes on the inside. See, the cross accomplished beautiful things on the outside. Jesus took our sins on the cross. 
our sins were our accusations. You ever wonder why Jesus stood there and, uh, before Pilate and the high priests in various places and they accused him? And they said, you know, he did this, he said that, and, and laid all manner of evil against him, and he didn't answer a word. You know why I think he didn't answer a word? If he had said, nope, nope, I won't take that one. It may have been my sin that they were laying on him. Remember how in the sacrificial system, the sinner came and laid his hands on the head of the animal, and then that animal's throat was cut? And the blood spilled out and that sacrifice was made. I think that's what's going on. Figuratively, they were accusing him of anything and everything. And he didn't open his mouth. And then he took those sins and he was nailed to a cross. And he reconciled our sins. He reconciled us with the Father. He was a mediator between God and men. And he reconciled. But that's not all the cross did, folks. The cross brings death to us in here. Let a man deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross, brothers and sisters, the cross is a death to us, a death to us on the inside so that we die and live unto him. Are you taking up your cross? Are you living and carrying your cross, a death to self? That's what the cross does inside of us. And so he says here, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. Now here we have a washing. Sounds like something's going on that's that's cleansing and renewing of the Holy Ghost. What a glorious picture of the new birth, a renewing of the Holy Ghost, a power that is outside of us, a power that is not earthly, a power that is heavenly, comes upon a person, a sinner, and cleanses them and washes them and renews them. This is the confidence and the hope that we have in the scriptures that can be accomplished in you. Oh, it's a glorious gospel. Let's go on. Verse 6. Which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by his grace. We should be made heirs. 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 Heirs of God. That we inherit of the nature and the character of God. Within our person where Adam's nature had reigned before. There is hope for anybody in any kind of situation. If they'll come to the Lord Jesus. The gospel is powerful according to the hope of eternal life. The gospel is very powerful and it will change us. But I want to say that when you're born again, you're a baby. When we get born again, everything that needs straightening out in our lives hasn't necessarily gotten straightened out. There's discipleship that needs to be taking place. You know, you get this baby. You got it in your arms. It's a real live person. And you cuddle that thing. Oftentimes it looks like mom or dad or maybe a mix of both sides of the family. And it belongs. Oh, this is a baby. But it takes a lot of feeding. It takes a lot of diapers. It takes some nights of crying. And it's quite possible that as you seek God and as you follow the Lord, that that new nature is working in your life. That new nature is there. That new person is there. But you're a child. 
it, it, it's, it's that place. But you can grow fast. You can grow fast. Somebody told me that a baby was born. I forget which state it was in. A baby was born, and within about three months, it gained 400 pounds. Now, they fed it on elephant milk. But it was a baby elephant. And so, really seriously now, if you're going to grow as a Christian, you need to be a baby Christian. There's great potential for you to grow as a Christian if you're a baby Christian. You understand? But if you're not a new creature, you've not been made a new creature, you're not the elephant, if you will, if that new life is not in you, you won't grow. You won't grow. You won't have that victory. And the other thing is, if you don't confess all your sins and deal with all your sins and all those hidden things in there and the things that the Lord brings to mind afterwards, it smothers that life. If you're courting the spirit of the world and you're leaning in that direction, it's going to smother out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not compatible with the spirit of this world. It's not compatible with the cool spirit. It's not compatible with that which impresses carnal man. Are you born again? Verse 6 says here, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I didn't mean for that, that illustration to, uh, to hinder conviction in our lives. It's a very serious matter. Have you had a new birth? Stretch forth thine hand. Stretch forth thine hand. Well, point number two. Do you have an empty profession? Let's go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. And here is the passage where we have the the ten virgins. Matthew 25. It says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, Lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know not, know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now, we have here in this parable, we have an empty lamp and we have an empty profession. An empty lamp and an empty profession. As these five virgins, ten virgins, woke up, they realized that their lamps had gone out. And I don't know what all... To read into this parable, 
but their lamps had all gone out. And then they arose, and it seems they all trimmed their wicks. Now, a wick is this thing here in the lamp that goes down into the oil, that draws the oil up, and the light, you light this thing right here, and the fire burns, and inside of this um, chimney here, what do you call the thing? Um, There's a better word for it, the globe, I guess. Inside of this thing here, this fire burns, and it illuminates. It it does well. I read many a book by one of these lights right here. It was not quite just exactly like this. But they, they cut the top of that wick off, and then they start a nice fresh um, flame that has a real nice um, uh, uh, configuration to it. It has a real nice body to it, and it doesn't smoke on one corner, and you get the most light out of it. But, oh no, they discovered that there was no oil in that lamp. Five of them found that they had no oil. Now it says that they were foolish ones didn't take any oil with them. It calls them foolish. It was something that they did knowingly. Or maybe they didn't know, but they should have known. The others, the five wise ones, they took oil with them. And the lights were out. So they opened the lamp, they pour in oil, and they say, hey, give us some of your oil. And says, no, no, we can't do that. Our lamp might go out again. I'm not going to take too far this illustration. I'm just going to say that there were some empty lamps and empty professions. As I looked at this scripture, I believe it was yesterday, and pondering it, it suddenly it just stood out to me. Here were empty professions. Do you have one? Do you have an empty profession? You know, my heart is convicting me that I told that light thing about the elephant, baby elephant. I'm sorry. feel like it's grieved the Lord. I'm sorry. Here we have an empty profession. Where is your profession? Is it an empty profession? In this parable, we have five wise virgins and five foolish. There were five that prepared for the future and five did not. Did the five wise have an experience and realize that they would be judged by their works before the word of God and amended their lives to live for eternity? Did the five wise ones have a conversion experience and realize my judgment on that great day is going to be according to the word of God? I'm going to be judged by the word of God. And they amended their lives and brought their lives in line with the word of God. To where the word of God that was written in here was written in their hearts and in their lives. And they became living epistles. Was that what the oil was? Well, some say, well, it was the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is typical of that oil. I'm not saying that it's not. Even if that was the case, it'd still be an empty profession. Do you have a sense inside of you that you have an empty profession? Did the five foolish ones have an experience and did not give attention to the word of God and amend their lives according to the word of God? Was that why they had an empty profession on that day? I don't know. 
Whatever the case, they had empty lamps and empty professions. It got to the point in verse 12 where he said, he answered them and said, Verily, I know you not. Listen, folks, this goes back to the other point about the conversion. Mentioned to you, a young man called me. And I challenged him whether he'd been born again. Because I know a few things about his life. He's a very troubled young man. There's many, many, many issues in his life that he can't come to terms with. Very troubled. And I challenged him. I says, have you been born again? Yes, he says, I've been born again. I says, tell me about it. And he said, you know, he says, I was sitting there. I'll know just where it was and how it was. He didn't tell, say that part, but he said, I was sitting there and watching the most beautiful sunset. And that sun went down, and I just, it just spoke to me, and I says, there is a God. Because he had been grappling with, where is there a God? And he said, there is a God. And he says, I just chose to believe that that was my conversion, and I was encouraged to believe, just simply believe it. Believe that I believed, and, you know, faith is just a little thing, and I believed that there's a God. And best of my knowledge, he was baptized on that. And I says, you're not born again. And he laughed. He says, you're the first person that had, has told me that. And I says, all the definitions and the descriptions of the new birth that the scriptures gives, what you explained to me and what you described to me and the, the, the lack of peace and the lack of life coming straight, the lack of surrender in his life, the lack of rebellion towards his parents going away, all these, there were symptoms there that described the old man, old man, old man, currently. And uh, he did admit that, that I told him kindly, that though I was blunt with him, and that would be my desire tonight. Do you have an empty profession? Is there a lack of reality there? Yes, I know. But I don't know when I've felt God's presence. I don't know when I've really felt the comfort, the strength and the aid and the assistance of the Holy Ghost in my life. I don't know. You know, there's so much confusion in my life and I, I'm torn between... You know, do I want to live after the world or do I want to live for the Lord? And I just, you know, the Christian life just looks hard. And, you know, there's really not much fulfillment there. You know, just a wrestling or lack of reality and lack of presence of God. And I acknowledge there are times I don't feel, feel the presence of the Lord. I'm not going by a feeling but a working of God in the life and a surrender to that work of God in the life. Are you making an empty profession? <clears throat> I just want to draw your eyes here to verse 8 and 9 in verse Matthew 25. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. I believe in the church there are going to be those that... <clears throat> are going to make that same cry in that day. This is speaking of that great day. This is not just talking of some wedding feast. This is not just talking of some incident that was going to pass, but this is an eternal situation. He said our light, they said our lights have gone out, our lamps have gone out, an empty lamp, an empty profession. But the wise answered saying, not so, 
Lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. It doesn't sound like they actually got oil when they went to buy. They just came back and knocked on the door. And it was too late. It was too late. Do you have a living profession or an empty profession? Here is a dire situation. Is the oil the Holy Spirit? Some think so. It's interesting to me. The Lord doesn't just spell it out and say what was missing here. But he gives us this word in verse 13. Watch therefore... For you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Basically, he's saying you should be ready at all times. Watch and be ready that when the Lord comes, it's not too late for you. In the glitches of sin, in the glitches of departure, do you have the Holy Spirit? Does he convict you? Does he convict you? You know, John chapter 16, it says that when the Holy Ghost has come, he's going to convince men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. I ask you this evening, has the Holy Ghost convicted you of sin? Has the Holy Ghost come into your life and convinced you of sin to where you are guilty? You know that you're guilty. He has in my life many times. Uh, it, it's it's almost as if I had my hand in the cookie jar in a in a parable. Uh, yeah, I was guilty and I knew it, and he knew it, and he convinced me. I was convinced. The the the, the flush came over my face. The the conviction was sound. Uh, I was I was guilty of sin. And has he come into your life? Does he convince you of what is right? That's what the Holy Ghost has come to do to convince the believer. To convince the individual believer he's a comforter. He comes alongside and helps. He strengthens us, but he also convinces us of what is right, what we should be doing, what the right response is, what the right choice is, what the right thinking is, what the right conclusion is between values and judgment there. And has he convinced you? Are you sure and certain that you in your person are going to stand before Almighty God and I will stand in my person in a resurrected body as I understand the scripture before Almighty God and give account for the deeds that are done in the body? Are you convinced of that? That's what the Holy Ghost has come to do. Is the Holy Ghost in your life or do you have an empty profession? You know there's sin down there. Ah, it's too embarrassing. You know, my hand is withered, but uh, I can't bear the shame of exposing that thing. It's ugly. Well, stretch forth your hand this evening. Jesus talks of branches that bear no fruit, and he says they are taken away. Jesus talks of lots of spiritual talk with plenty of unspiritual living. Lots of spiritual talk with plenty of unspiritual living. Is that your case? Do you long to go to be with the Lord? Do you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I think one of the reasons we have meetings like this is to bring us back to that place. As we go through life and we face difficulty, we face temptations and discouragements, that love begins to wane. We need renewing. And I thank God that he does it. We need to be ready at all times. Do you love to be with him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Does your love produce obedience? Stretch forth your hand. Do you have an empty profession? 
<clears throat> Stretch forth your hand. Point number three. The last two are shorter. Are you broken? Turn to Matthew 21. Matthew 21 for this point here. Are you broken? The context here, Jesus told a parable of a man, a certain householder which planted a vineyard, and then he rented it out or leased it out, and the agreement seems to have been that at the time of harvest, at the time of fruit, he would get of the fruits of the vineyard. And the time came for harvest, and he sent forth a a servant. We'd call them prophets. He sent forth a servant and said, The master wants fruit. They threw him out of the vineyard. They stoned him. And he sent others. They stoned those too. Finally, he says, Well, I have one son. I think they're going to respect my son. So he sent the son over there. And the son came to ask him for fruit. Has the Lord ever come asking you for fruit? Fitting fruit for repentance? Ask him for fruit. And they said, oh, this is the heir. Let's kill him and then we'll get it. And they threw him out and killed him. And he's speaking of himself. And this is where the matter comes up in verse 41. Matthew 21, verse 41. They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, did you never read the scripture in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And as I said yesterday evening, that uh, it's up to us whether we're going to be the church in the next generation. It's up to us whether we're going to respond to the Lord. It's up to us whether we're going to seek the Lord. Or is he going to take it from us and give it to somebody else that's going to be responsive and bring forth fruit? They'll be there. They'll be there. The Lord's not going to be short. The Lord's going to have people understand it in China. And some parts, closed parts of the world, they're needing Bibles so much. And people are getting born again. God's finding himself a people. People are getting born again that they are um, so hungry for the word of God that they um, uh, had this man distributing Bibles. And he found 14 believers that didn't have a Bible. And so he left his Bible with them and returned later with 14 copies to bring these new believers their Bibles. But a great problem that occurred. Great, wonderful, marvelous problem. There weren't just 14. I'm thinking it was upwards towards 500 more people had gotten born again. They're hungry for the word of God. They're not allowed to have it. They've been starved for the word of God and they're hungry for it. And I don't know what the conditions of those people are or their churches or anything like that. But when there's a hunger and a love for the word of God, usually obedience and holiness follows. So it's up to you and I here this evening. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. Jesus promises 
that if you will fall on the stone, you will be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. I said to uh, the same young man in another phone conversation, I said, what you need is brokenness. You need to break yourself before the Lord or else he's going to come back and grind you to powder in his second return. Oh, he says, surely he wouldn't do that. And I said, that's what the word of God says here. And many of us don't believe it. Many people in this day don't believe that they will be ground to powder if they don't fall on the rock and be broken. And so this evening, I ask you the question, are you broken? Have you been broken? <clears throat> One of the two is going to happen in our lives. We'll either go through brokenness and repentance and find grace and find redemption and fellowship with God. Or he will come in that great day and shall fall upon him and grind him to powder. Here's biblical description of what's going to happen. In this passage we have two options. To be broken or to be ground to powder. It is wonderful if you were broken once. But are you broken now? Are we broken this evening? Is it easy for us to be tender in our hearts to the Lord? Is there a contriteness where there's an introspection, there's a, um, there's a sense of, of, uh, of having wronged, of having committed wrong? This is what contrite means. It, it has the idea that, that we're fairly readily uh, convinced that we, we've missed it. You know, nobody has to cram it down their throat. Oh, yeah, I, I missed it there. I'm sorry. Um, that's the idea of contrite. Are you broken? I'm just going to say that for us men, it's easy for us men to carry a high standard without being broken. And fathers destroy their children this way. They carry a high standard. They expect others to carry. And they're not broken. And they destroy their children in this way. Psalm 51 in verse 17. I'll quickly read this verse here. This is David's repentant prayer after he had Uriah killed and had taken Bathsheba to be his wife. And this is the repentance psalm that David wrote, the most beautiful psalm. If you want to understand how to repent and understand what kind of heart is behind repentance here, you read this psalm before the Lord. In verse 15 it says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. A broken and contrite heart, thou wilt not despise. This is a continual sacrifice. It also means that an unbroken spirit, God is going to despise. The sacrifices that the Lord appreciates, if you want to bring something to the Lord, you want to bring something as a token of, of your desire towards the Lord, bring a broken heart this evening. Open the well that's within you and, and be able to weep. Turn your heart unashamedly to the Lord and stretch out your withered hand. Let your needs be made known. <clears throat> You know, people tend to hide their needs and hide their sins. The scripture says to watch lest any be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The human heart was not created for sin. And every sin committed against conscience and God's word increases hardness. But do you have a broken heart tonight? Is there a brokenness in your life? <clears throat> I was talking with a preacher not too, too many months ago, and uh, we were in the middle of some meetings, and, and he said, I just asked the Lord this morning in the room, just, Lord, just break my heart. 
Break my heart. We need more broken hearts. I need more of a broken heart. But Jesus says, fall on the rock and be broken. So here's an invitation this evening to fall on the rock and be broken. The final point here this evening is, do you have sins that need to be sent before to judgment? Do you have sins that need to be sent before to judgment? The Lord has given us an amazing accounting opportunity here this evening to settle accounts ahead of time. Are you in debt? Do you owe a debt of sin to the Lord? Have you transgressed against his word? Transgressed against others? Transgressed against your own soul? And against your own body? Those sins are going to appear at judgment. One way or another, those sins are going to appear at judgment. Let's go to 1 Timothy. Chapter 5. In verse 24, it says here, Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. They cannot be hid. Jesus said, Every secret thing is going to be set out in the open. There's nothing hid, but it's going to be made manifest. Here tonight, we have a day of grace. If you have sins that you've undealt with, sins that you know lay there in our archives, it says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There's a measure in which we bring out our sins and the Lord cancels them. If there's a repentant heart. So here's an accounting. And you're able to deal with your sins tonight and send them before to judgment. And they won't follow you there. This is an amazing opportunity. An amazing opportunity to do some pre-accounting. But if you won't deal with them. If you think it's embarrassing tonight. To face who you are and where you are here tonight. Think of all the multitude. Multitudes, multitudes in the day of decision. In the valley of decision. And they're all nations gathered before the Lord. I don't know just how it's all going to be, but I find these things written in the Word of God and our lives transparent. It says the last shall be first and the first last. We'll be dealt with on an individual basis. Some have said, well, they thought that we must, every one, appear before the judgment seat of Christ and there's going to be a separate judgment for every one of us. I don't know how it's going to be. But it says there's nothing hid. That's not going to be made manifest. Sin is like trying to keep a, uh, a uh, inner tube underwater. If you've committed it and you're out there swimming, I don't know if you've swim in your life, but if you have this inner tube, you might be able to straddle that thing and get it pushed underwater to where it's out of sight. But you make a slip and it pops to the surface. Sin is that way. And when we have uncanceled sin in our lives, that's the way it seems to want to come. And it feels like everybody's trying to pry the lid off and look into our business. And and we're trying to put the lid back on it. But you know what? When people confess their sins in truth and they take the lid off and say, thus and thus have I done, or people say, oh, put the lid back on. Put it back on. Just no, no. It's amazing how that whole thing works and how people can be cleansed Oh, how they can be cleansed. I was sitting. You know, people say that when, um, when you've seen some pictures, they make a permanent impression on your mind. 
Can't ever take them off. Well, I'm testifying tonight that the grace of God is able to remove them. I was sitting in a dentist's office and just flipping through a magazine. I shouldn't have known better. All of a sudden, right there was a picture. Not a good picture. And I was startled enough. I looked longer than I should have. And there that picture was. And I groaned. And I said, oh, Lord. Well, a few days later, it was still there when it came to mind. There it was. I wasn't looking for it. Don't think so. There it was. I went to the Lord. Told him I'm sorry. Lord, I should have known better than looking at magazine. It wasn't a Christian magazine. Lord, cleanse me. And there's like a fuzzy filter thing went over that picture and it's gone. It's not been back. The grace of God, the cleansing ability the Lord has, He can heal withered hands, He can cleanse impure hearts, and He can take away sin. And cleanse us of it. There may be some consequences. We don't know. But you don't want to harvest the harvest of hidden sin. Every man will receive for the things done in the body. But we can settle the books before sending our sins to judgment. Stretch forth thy hand. I felt tonight if I kept us a little longer, I'm not going to apologize. We went home and stayed up to quarter after 11 last night visiting. Had beautiful fellowship. But I think we can... Ponder the word of God here tonight, and it won't hurt us. Where are you? Eternity is in this evening. Eternity is in this evening. Are you making an empty profession? Have you been born again? It's a beautiful, godly way to walk, being made new. And beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord, we are changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of our God. Tonight, are you broken? We find two conditions here. We can send our judgment beforehand, our sins before to judgment, or judgment is going to follow us. How is your heart tonight? Is it tender and broken? Is it unclean? Do you make an empty profession? Do ungodly actions plague you? Are you a new creature in Christ tonight? Or are you still an old man? We'd like to give you an opportunity this evening to stretch forth your hand. Would you be willing to stand forth, to come forward and stretch forth your hand, your need before the Lord? Bring it to Him. First, I would advise that if you respond, that you go talk with somebody. Many times, I have not done it. No, rather, I should say, usually I did it, but I've seen many times where people, they come up and they pray, and they feel a little better about it, and they go back and sit down. I think if it's serious enough that you feel like you should respond, you should go clear your heart with somebody. And confess and open up. This is where I'm at. It's amazing how as we open our mouth, the word is nigh thee in our mouth and our heart. The mouth makes confession. And the Lord does something in sealing it in our lives. I'd like us to stand together.
If the song leader has a, a, a song for us, would you just be bold enough to just step forward and stretch forth your hand and let him heal you? What shall we sing, brother? Number 247. 247. If the Lord's speaking to you, dealing with you, just come right away. Just come right away. I will hasten to thee. I don't know what the song is here. 247. 